Welcome everybody, my name is Mikhail Nasrani and this is Islam for Christians. Episode 42, Quran, Surah 106, Quraysh. For the taming of Quraysh, for their taming, we cause the caravans to set forth in winter and summer. So let them worship the Lord of this house, who hath fed them against hunger and hath made them safe from fear. That's the Marmaduke Pickthall translation, but because it's quite different from most others, I'll give the Sahe International version uh, for context to help you understand better what's being said here. For the accustomed security of the Quraysh, their accustomed security in the caravan of winter and summer, let them worship the Lord of this house, who has fed them, saving them from hunger, and made them safe saving them from fear. And now the Arabic, as recited by Saad El-Gamdi. This surah is often combined with surah 105, and it is believed by many that 106 and 105 may have been, originally, just one surah, but we'll get to that next month. Uh, the chronology actually works for us because we're doing this backwards, so 106 will set up 105, which is about the year of the elephant. More on that next month. Or you can just check out episode 15, Islamic History, Pre-Islamic Legends, and that'll give you some background on what I'm talking about here. This is a Meccan surah, as will be surah 105, which is important because this is long before the Quraysh are actually at war with the Muslims based in Medina. And it also makes some of this deeply ironic or at least theologically fascinating, given what the Muslims later do to these Qureshi trade routes. More on that a bit later. But first, some context on what this surah is referring to. Because uh, without some key background information, none of what you just heard in any translation is going to make any sense. Now, first off, to be very basic about this, I'm not going to assume everyone knows what a caravan is. So what's a caravan? It's an old world term. Um, in the modern world, at least in English Commonwealth countries, a caravan is a trailer. And in the USA, a caravan is a minivan back from the 1990s. But in ancient Arabia, a caravan was the equivalent of a merchant ship today, or a convoy of trucks. You know, they would take things from one place to another to facilitate trade. And that wasn't as easy as it sounds in a place without real roads or modern communication or highway police. Um, certainly helped to have camels when you didn't have roads. You know, that's what made them so important to the Arabs. And it was also dangerous for most people. You know, it's not like there was a united government in Arabia or anywhere else to ensure law and order. So you needed to move plenty of muscle with these caravans 
to fend off bandits, which made it more expensive to trade. And caravans and religious pilgrims were the two legs that Mecca stood on, and that's very important. And in the Quran, in line three here, they mention the house. The Quran, it mentions the house. So whatever pronoun you want to use for the Quran, it mentions the house. Now, what house is that? That's the Kaaba. So it was still holy even when in pagan hands, because the original was built by Abraham, after all. So the Quran is letting people know who is really in charge of the Kaaba and all the bounty that it provides. That would be God, the real God. And there's another term you may not have recognized in this very short surah, and that is Quraysh. Who are the Quraysh? Now, the Quraysh were the dominant tribe of Mecca. They were in charge of Mecca, and they were known for two things, trading and the gods of Arabia. They were basically in charge of the gods, and this gave them a sort of divine protection throughout Arabia, throughout the peninsula, and they could take advantage of this by sending caravans, unmolested, all over the place. The Quran is specifically mentioning the caravans north to Syria, because in the summer, the caravans went north, and in this winter, they went south. So they'll be north to Syria in the summer, and south to Yemen in the winter. It also helped that they were the only people with a home base in the holy sanctuary of the Kaaba. Even if you wanted to take on the Quraysh, how would you do it? You know, if you're a rival tribe, you say, you know what? I'm going to challenge the Quraysh. You know, I think we can beat those guys. You're kind of boxed in. You know, how do you defeat a people who live in a city that, for religious reasons, cannot be attacked? There were religious rules <laughs> regarding fighting in Mecca, and it just, it wasn't very often that you could actually attack Mecca. And under very few circumstances, you know, so they were almost a religious caste unto themselves in Arabia, almost like the Levites, but they weren't really priests. They were merchants and very good ones at that. You know, uh, you want to know how the ancient Arabs thought of the Quraysh, of this powerful tribe? It's actually in the word itself. The term Quraysh comes from the Arabic verb Karisha. It's a noun form of that particular verb. A brief Arabic aside here, almost all Arabic words are derived from a three-consonant verb. In this case, the sounds ka, ra, and sha. And Arabic verbs usually have ten forms that modify the original meaning. And then branching out from that verb, standard variations are used for nouns, adjectives, etc., but always carrying some semblance of the meaning of the original verb. Now, it's pretty poetic, actually. That's actually why it's such a great language for poetry. Now, karasha is an easier verb because there are only two forms, two and eight. So we can focus on those. Now, just bear with me here. This will make sense at the end. So remember that form two makes the verb more intense. And form eight means to do more you know, or more something with more detail or to do it intentionally. For example, 
let's take a widely used verb like kataba, which means to write. Now, form two of to write means to make someone write, an intense or forced form of the verb. So that's an example of the form number two. Now, form eight of kataba or to write is to subscribe or to be registered, you know, to be intentionally written down. That's the intentionality. So why am I explaining forms two and eight? Because that's all we have for Karasha. You know, not the standard one through 10 here, just two and eight. So after the first form, the verb Karasha only has two other forms, two and eight. So the first form, the simple form of the verb that gives us Koresh, it's Karasha. It means to gnash, to crunch, to nibble, or to chew, or to grind with your teeth. So it's something eating something else. So, you know, let's extrapolate from that. What would form two and eight be of devouring something or nibbling with your teeth? How would those actions look if they were more intense or done intentionally? This verb turns into earning money or making a living. How great is that? So someone who makes money is a grinder, a devourer. And that gives you an idea of what the ancient Arabs considered to be the source of money and or how people thought the Quraysh made their money. And it gets better. Guess what the noun form is of this tooth-gnashing verb? And aside from the proper noun, Quraysh, you know, the tribe. What has a bunch of nasty, devouring teeth? Big teeth, big jaws. Yes, that would be a shark, a kirsch. I believe it is pronounced kirsch, is a shark, a giant animal that travels all over the place and in fact dies if it stops moving. Well, some species at least. The shark eats other fish but cannot be eaten itself. It's an apex predator whose body, much like the city of Mecca, is in itself a safe haven. Uh, that is, unless a smarter, higher being, say a human, can come in from above and pluck it out of the water and kill it. And that's precisely the implied threat from God here. Um, you know, he is the, the human, the fisherman looking out over the water and seeing the dorsal fin. Um, you'll see this more in, in Sora 105 later. You know, God is saying, you think you're safe, Mr. Shark, but God sees your dorsal fin. He took out Tyrannosaurus Rex, and he can end you just as easily. And really, God actually did end this protection for the Quraysh. As soon as the Muslims were out of Mecca, they started attacking the northbound caravans. This was an important part of their strategic position in Medina, which was north of Mecca. Now, the Quraysh weren't used to this when it happened, but the Muslims were the only people in Arabia who viewed the keepers of the Kaaba as illegitimate, and therefore their caravans were fair game. 
It was almost like a religious superpower. You know, so the Muslims basically said, hey, they don't want to worship the true Lord of the Kaaba, being Allah, being God. So be it. God will remove his protection from the keepers of the Kaaba. No matter how fierce, how great, how shark-like the Quraysh thought they were, it didn't mean a thing if God was against them. He was, is, and always will be the one in charge. Now, this is what's being conveyed in this surah, particularly in the Pictal English translation of this surah. And let me focus on that for a bit, because I want to show you the reasons why Pictal is so good at this. Or I should say was. He's he's long dead, but he was he was he was a great man. And to show you why he is my standard for the English Quran. Now I'm not saying that he should be yours, but I want to convey why I think he is so brilliant. So let's go back to the first two lines of the Sora. I'll read the Pictal and then the three not the three, just three other sort of random, highly respected translations. So first, Pictal. For the taming of Koresh, for their taming, we cause the caravans to set forth in winter and summer. All right, so try to file that away in your head. And now I'll read you Yusuf Ali, same two lines. For the covenants of security and safeguard enjoyed by the Quraysh, their covenants covering journeys by winter and summer. Now the Sahih International, or Sahih International. For the accustomed security of the Quraysh, their accustomed security in the caravan of winter and summer. And then finally, Mustafa Khatib, who exemplifies kind of the modern super contextualized style. Um, note, for example, that he puts the caravan destinations in there, which isn't in the Arabic text. So this is what Mustafa Khatib says. At least for the favor of making Quraysh habitually secure, secure in their trading caravan to Yemen in the winter and Syria in the summer. So I hope it was clear here. Um, if it wasn't, you know, if you're kind of like me, I'd have a hard time hearing that and absorbing all of this. Uh, I'd be much better reading it. Uh, all you got to do to see any of these things is go to Quran.com and they have all of these things. It's free. Whatever translations you want, they have pronunciations. It's a fantastic resource. You know, so if you're more visual, um, you know, try to look at those four simultaneously. Now, the major outlier here is Pickthall. His verb is tame, T-A-M-E, tame. You know, the others use some form of the verb secure. You know, what is behind Pickthall's choice here? Particularly because at first glance, the word tame, or taming is the, the version he uses of it, it makes no sense in this context. So let's look at the Arabic of the first line. This is a simple three-word sentence. Preposition, verb, noun. Ila yalu fakoresh. 
So the first word is Ella. That means for or accept. Now, in the written form we see here, I'd go with for. Then yul afa, you know, don't let the Y fool you. The, this verb root actually starts with an A, an aleph. Um, aleph lam fa. The first vowel is changed because of what becomes before it, I believe. And this is one of those obnoxious verbs that has a long vowel instead of a simple consonant in its root. And I hate those. They're so hard to find. Anyway, this appears to be a simple form of alifa, the simple form, form one. So looking at the simple forms of this verb and under this context, the only definition that really fits here is to become tame. So Pickthal sees that and just makes the translation, trying to preserve the meaning of the text itself rather than the larger message. So then, of course, the last word is Koresh. That's the third word. So for the taming of Koresh. It's a very good translation. So this is a terrific example of Pickthal's literal style. Whereas most translators contextualize it in what they believe is being conveyed within the Arabic, including the thousand plus years of tradition regarding how it's understood, Pickthal does not do this unless it's absolutely necessary. And that gives it more of a mystical and poetic and mysterious quality. I like it. It's not for everyone, though. The other translators don't bother with the actual dictionary definition. They're putting that verb in a historical and societal context to make it clear to the reader that we're talking about physical security here, that the Quraysh should be thankful for their privileged position and physical security. The modern-minded Mustafa Khatib even tells you where these caravans are going, um, which is convenient, and I'm not saying that that's wrong. But think about the more mystic and larger meaning we get here with the verb tame when we pickthal it, you know, to completely invent a verb of my own. You know, let's pickthal that word. What happens when we strip away the historical and societal context that we feel that the reader needs? What happens when we don't care whether the reader knows anything about ancient Arab geopolitics or trade routes or anything like that? The Quraysh may seem like they're in charge, but they're really being tamed. And who is the tamer? That would be God. God has tamed the shark. Now, can you see how wonderfully that fits into the rest of this surah, all the while making it abundantly clear that the Quraysh's situation was given by God, and it can be taken away by God at any time. God is in charge, not the Quraysh. The Quraysh do not have security. They have been tamed. It's more poetic that way. So you see the genius of Pickthal's use of English there. He conveyed a deeper spiritual message that the others did not. It's not a small thing, for sure. You know, if you read the rest of the surah, the message is pretty similar. But Pickthal is emphasizing the dominion of God at the beginning and the end, which he may have thought was conveyed in the original Arabic. 
The other translators usually add a footnote to the first line about the dominion of God, but that's a stylistic difference. Pickthall puts it right into the text, because he would probably argue the Quran put it right into the text. And as he would have also said, God put it right into the text. Uh, you know, that's what makes it so deep and so poetic. So it's a stylistic choice depending on what you're looking for. Do you prefer Shakespeare in the original, somewhat hard to decipher language? Or do you prefer an updated version in a more modern parlance? And again, there's no right or wrong answer here, but it's something to pay attention to in English translations of the Quran. And that's all I have for this short surah. So thank you, and I'll talk to you next time. Inshallah. Thank you for listening to Islam for Christians. Please subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. And if you want to keep this show ad-free, you can also visit my Patreon page and subscribe. I'm at patreon.com slash Islam for Christians. That's patreon.com slash Islam for Christians.